Hello, welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about everything from food to travel and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, so come on with me and let's do this. Today's episode is with one of the more lovely humans that I've met here in the food industry, Kylie Newton of Newton and Pot. Newton & Pot makes homemade chutneys, jams, and preserves. That includes fermented products and all kinds of fun things. Artisanal preserves made in small batches in Hackney, London. To set the stage a bit for my interview with Kylie, I wanted to pull in a little conversation I had with my friend and equally awesome London foodie and businesswoman, Joey O'Hare. Joey co-owns a cafe in London called High Mood Food. Joey came over to mine so that we could shoot a video for my YouTube channel on making sauerkraut at home. Hey, Joey. Hi, Katie. Sauerkraut is way easier than you might think it is, and Joey debunked all of those myths. She also brought some kraut over that she'd previously made, and after the shoot, we made a lunch that incorporated that kraut. We used the kraut and the slaw and had a soba noodle salad as well. Yeah, we we fridge foraged. That's what, that's what we did. Joey is super awesome and super talented, and I'll have to bring her back on the podcast to be a fully blown guest. But in the meantime, while I had Joey here for a shoot, I wanted her to talk about preservation for us a bit because it's a huge part of what her company does. So what is the difference between preserved foods and fermented foods? Because fermented foods are a kind of preserved food, but not all preserved foods are fermented. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. So I guess their reason for being is the same and that it's this need to preserve a glut before refrigeration to have kind of nutrient dense food throughout the year. For me, preserving can mean it can include things like, you know, jams and pickles and all these other lovely kind of old fashioned. Or now they're also cool again. They've also had a revival, but these kind of, you know, traditional techniques um, of food preservation. Food preservation. I'm sure you've heard the saying, waste not, want not, right? Well, that is basically the slogan of Kylie Newton, today's guest. Kylie is a New Zealander who's been living in London for over 15 years. Her career has evolved and shifted in ways that prove to aspiring creatives out there that there really is no one clear path for everyone. From a fine art student working for years under a famous artist doing screen printing, to being an East London DJ, to a humble preserver with an enviably strong brand, Newton and Pot. Kylie will admit that she's a bit of a Jill of all trades, but the things that her pursuits have always included, firstly, creativity, and working with her hands, making something beautiful slash delicious slash boogie-worthy. Since beginning Newton and Pot, Kylie has published a cookbook, The Modern Preserver, about bringing this age-old skill to social media times, to the modern age, experimenting with flavors and techniques while still staying true to the core of the craft. She has received the Young British Food Award in 2016, which is a big deal. She's got passion and she's got determination. In this conversation, Kylie and I talk about what it was like going from artist to businesswoman, how she started a business that aligns with her values and creative ambitions, and how actually very difficult it can be to recognize your own accomplishments and give yourself that pat on the back for all your hard work. Kylie is fulfilling her own vision as she elevates the art of preservation. So basically, she's a rock star, but she also gets really real with us about some of the struggles she goes through as a small business owner. I really enjoyed having this conversation with Kylie, and I hope you get something out of listening to it. 
Hi, Kylie. Hi, Kylie. <laughs> Thank you for having me to your beautiful apartment. The sun is shining. The light it's is coming outside. in. It's hot outside. It's hot. It's hot. 31 degrees yesterday. We barbecued. We got the bucket barbecue out. <gasps> it was fantastic. What's now? a bucket barbecue? So um, it's just a bucket that they've made into a barbecue. <laughs> what? Uh, Can you explain <laughs> how that works? Uh, I brought it from like Sainsbury's or something for a fiver, but it's, I call it the bucket barbecue. It looks like a bucket and it's just a few holes drilled in it and another little kind of bucket in there that you put your coal in and a grill. I have made a barbecue though out of a wok, a stool and a pizza rack. Really? In my past in New Zealand when I, you're a bit MacGyverish, yeah. I think. You are crafty. <laughs> so this brings up New Zealand. New Zealand. I'm from New Zealand. Yes, if people couldn't tell by your accent. Yeah. I still harbour my New Zealand accent, Even don't I? Even after being in London for over 15 years? Yeah, about 18 wow, years I've been yeah. here. But the weird thing is when I go back home, they think that I sound very posh. And it's only because I'm pronouncing things probably so that the people here can understand me. Which you can't take the Kiwi out of the girl. So, yeah, <laughs> what does it mean to you to be Kiwi? I think maybe we're quite close to nature. I only say that because when I walk... I- I kind of craved the sea being living in London a lot. When I first got here about 18 years ago, I used to have these dreams of water. So uh, the sea or a river or I used literal to... Dreams. Literal dreams. So I think I'm kind of close to nature. I don't know that if that's true for all Kiwis, but I think I've been brought up uh, just around seasonal food when I was brought up, a little bit older than I might sound or look, hopefully. There was only kind of seasonal food, so we had to you know make what was in season so we're always around fruit and vegetables my father was a great gardener and uh and a fisherman right and a fisherman yeah fisherman's daughter i'm a fisherman's daughter yeah but yeah i spent a lot of time at the beach and out on the boat i think i'm quite one with nature even though i always lived in very urban environments so i kind of love that you buck the stereotype of an urbanite and and (laughs) you you talk about in your book the Modern Preserver, you talk about how you want to get rid of the idea that making jam or chutneys is this thing that's like so idyllic that you can only do in a barn in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think people are becoming more involved with making things themselves. Today I had someone come and visit my uh, kitchen who he's come from doing study in university about makers and um, he said to me, do you consider yourself a manufacturer or a maker? And I was like, yeah, I'm a maker. Um, I do manufacture kind of a product and a brand, but I actually I feel like I'm, uh, you've been to my kitchen, it's actually yeah. more like we're makers than manufacturers. It kind of sounds so official. I'm curious about how you would define those two things. In my head, the thing first thing I come to is, yeah, when I've been to your office before, I've seen humans like a a community of people working together versus the machines it's not an assembly line or anything we make everything in small batches so um i think that's the definition of the difference between a manufacturer most people call themselves small batches are about 400 jars in a batch so they make them in massive vats but that's still considered small batch really whereas we our small batches are like 20 yeah (laughs) well it's more of what like the average person walking down the street if you were to ask them what do you think small batches they would not say 400 jars no no you would think it's like homemade small batch yeah 
basically what we're doing yeah. at, at Newton and Potts. It's kind of mental, but uh, I want to make something with authenticity and uh, make a good quality product. How much does this term maker tie into your artist background? Before you started Newton and Putt, you were an artist and you went to school. I or- went to art school in yeah. New Zealand at in Auckland University. Yeah, so I have a background in screen printing. I was a screen printer at university and then I came to, uh, I worked in hospitality during my uh, studies. Like restaurants? Hotels? Restaurants, mostly restaurants. Okay, yeah. uh, a very cool little cafe in Auckland called Verona Cafe. And then when I came over to London, I of course worked in bars and cafes again, uh, usually front of house. And then I landed myself a job with an artist called Wolfgang Tillmans, who is a Turner Prize winner photographer. And I worked for him for 10 years in London, being his personal analog printer. So much like the art of uh, making preserves, it's kind of a dying art or an old art to do analog printing with with, amongst this kind of digital world I made this jump talk to me about how you made the jump and why you made the jump for me it seems quite a natural jump I was a little bit stuck with uh, Wolfgang moved to Berlin basically and he was moving more into a digital kind of format when he left I was left with this kind of old uh, skill so analog printing from negative to paper which is so cool but it is so niche and you're right it was kind of being phased out super niche and totally phased out from about the 150 dark rooms that used to be in London. There's only about three, four left wow. in London. So, yeah, I was left with this uh, highly skilled um, profession, but nowhere to kind of utilize it. Were you kind of like freaking out at the time? Yeah, I thought I wanted to be a florist. <laughs> so I, You know, I could see that from you, Kylie. I really could. I so I dabbled in a bit of floristry because I've always been very good with uh, my hands and very creative. Um, so floristry came really natural to me. I just kind of... I didn't have a background or training in it, but uh, florist took me on anyway, and because I just had this natural flair. And then I thought I wanted to be a baker, but you know, London, there's a whole lot of bakers going down, yeah. so or a cake maker. And I did start a little market store, kind of, you know, selling my bakes of the day. But then, if I hadn't sold the bakes, I had this leftover cakes, um, and that completely broke my heart what broke your heart about it was it the, the waste f- just the just the waste the of waste it. That, that would yeah. be the, if I couldn't sell it I had to give it away or throw it out so it was less like oh this is a thing that I've created and more like this literally is a thing that's going to be thrown out and that's a shame and that's a shame yeah. and so and so I think um yeah I didn't I didn't I kind of I had always done um, made chutney as Christmas gifts when I was working for Wolfgang. They loved it there. Where I'd make make the kind of lunches, and I'd run down to the supermarket and make them the lunch, and I'd always gift them at Christmas these kind of chutneys and jams. And um, it kind of evolved out of that. The whole idea of not wanting to make a product that had was going to be wasteful if I didn't sell it. Preserving kind of became this um, perfect antidote for. I hate to say it, waste not, want not, uh, giving food longevity with preserving. It's an ancient, old um, technique. I can't, I haven't redeveloped the wheel. I've no. just kind of, you know, taken something that is, um, has really good ethics and, and hopefully create a good product out of it. What is the scope of preserving? 
So um, at Newnham Pot we do pickling, um, sauce, we make a ketchup, we do jam making, chutney. I I do masterclasses in uh, fermentation. You can make tinctures, so alcohol tinctures and uh, syrups. This is a huge umbrella. There are so yeah, many things. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things to play around with. In fact, when I wrote the book, I, they, uh, I got asked to write The Modern Preserver by Penguin ha- Random House, and they said to me, can you send over a proposal with about 70 uh, recipes? And I thought, okay, I'll do better than that. I'll show them that there's to- two books in me. So I sent them over like 140 recipes and they decided to go with all of them oh my god and the I mean book. it's a big it's a big book yeah it's yeah it's a fun book it took over a year to write and develop all the recipes so, so you just mentioned that they approached you how did that happen I think because I was doing something a little bit different um, I was using exotic fruits and different flavor combinations just having a little bit of fun with the palate I take a seasonal fruit and I kind of think about or what I can mix this with. So we have flavours like raspberry and rose, strawberry and pims. So think about alcohol, spices, herbs, um, flowers, floral aspects. It is fun, and I love that you encourage people to think outside the box and which clearly you have done but you you kind of inspire your readers to like do it on their own like take one of your recipes and continue thinking outside of the box yeah I think of it yeah and think about their own palate rather than just thinking about you know if you don't like lavender lavender is a a, quite a particular taste try rosemary or try something else in the book I tried to kind of set down some ground rules of how you might approach um, making a chutney or a jam but then using your own palate and your own influence and your own background um, and what is actually seasonal and available to you to have a play around with. So the title, The Modern Preserver, let's unpack that a bit. So what does it mean to you to be a modern preserver? Initially, I had quite a lot of problems with the whole concept of calling it The Modern Preserver. Of course, the publishers wanted to call it The Modern Preserver purely because I come from an art background as well. And modern, to me, is a very loaded term. It means that you're contemporary and that you're doing something that's starting a new kind of air of thought so for me calling something modern whereas it felt like it was a very old school technique that I'm doing I I had a few issues with but it kind of it does work in the long run we went along with it and uh, no other kind of title really fitted that mold just putting your own kind of little um, quirk shall we say (laughs) (laughs) onto it onto, onto kind of classic recipes they're not also classic the old school way of doing things they used to put a whole lot more sugar into jams they used to match the sugar content to jams whereas there are less sugar content um i think that's more contemporary way of making jams we're we're all a little bit anti-sugar at the moment or anti too much sugar into that saccharin kind of feeling we kind of need this war on sugar a little bit just to re-educate people on uh on what's good and bad but you know people have become so disconnected with what they're eating and putting in their body body that I think there's this whole kind of revolution on we want to know what's going into our bodies again and I think that comes around that full circle of people wanting to make things from scratch again and make their own preserves and go back to those old ideas of eating seasonally and making stuff. 
It seems to me like your belief in not wasting and in putting good things in your body um, and having a connection with nature, all these things that we've talked about in various ways thus far in the conversation kind of comes back to why you're doing it in the first place. Like, could you ever do something? Could you ever have a job that doesn't align with every... No, I don't think so. My girls in the kitchen uh, just uh, think that I'm absolutely mad (laughs) because I reuse everything. We have fruit that comes in each week and I reuse the boxes that the fruit comes in to send out my deliveries each week. And, you know, some of these deliveries are going to posh shops like Harrods or Selfridges, but I don't care. I want to reuse stuff. I don't I don't want to throw stuff away. I'm a little bit of a hoarder. I should probably look around my flat right now. Your flat uh, looks beautiful. It's actually very clean for you today. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> so was it like an aha moment when you discovered, oh, wait, I'm like, I'm good at making these chutneys and jams and, oh, and it does align with everything. Like, aha. I must pursue this. Yeah, a little, a little bit was like that. Was kind of like bringing that up. I never thought of it like that. But yeah, you know, I thought that I wanted to be an artist or I thought um, initially when I went to art school, I realized that I was, I then resolved my, my thoughts to that I was an art helper. I was very creative. I was good with my hands. I was able to receive ideas and follow them through. And so I thought I was always going to be an artist helper. It wasn't until I started the modern preserver that and I started putting all that creative energy into my own project that I yeah I realized that I could use all these kind of skills I'm not very good at the business side of things but I'm definitely good at the creative side of things yeah Yeah, my mind works quite visually and um sensory I'm crap with numbers (laughs) I'm so bad with numbers that's a different side that's a lot harder side of business and I think a lot of people should actually talk about that more just how hard it is to run your own kind of business but it hasn't stopped you no because I'm stubborn and (laughs) very determined and very passionate so I think that kind of blind determination is what's kept me going also my husband um, who I could not have done this without because of everything that we make goes back into the business and that is like a pretty typical entrepreneurial story right it is pretty typical I've not uh, this business has grown really organically. It's not. I've not had any investment, um, so it's purely out of um, me, just slowly growing. But I wouldn't have been able to do that without Mark, my husband, because he has been the backbone. He's been there, support mentally, but also he financially supports us as a as a unit, as a couple. Newton and Pot owes him a lot. Well, he also <laughs> is a graphic designer, so he's also did the design of the book really? and and he did all the labels for so you know graphic designers are expensive aren't they <laughs> <laughs> they are and his graphic design is excellent. I didn't know that yeah you know your husband did yeah. all of that stuff yeah really talented yeah and while we're speaking of design on your products it is your handwriting handwritten every <laughs> single flavor and because you have so many seasonal flavors it rotates a lot so yeah. you're constantly writing out flavors. so I used to have to write them he had we have skipped for a good three years I was handwriting everything oh now I mean imagine it in the last three weeks with this order that we've just sent out to Germany. We've just sent a half a pallet to Germany. That would have been like a thousand times. I was, It's like 
writing lines as a naughty child. I always think of like Bart Simpson writing on the blackboard. It's a little bit like that. I must not. But yeah, we have since scanned in my handwriting and now we just print it out like that. Unless it's a new seasonal flavour and then um, I handwrite those ones. Someone actually, I did the market on Saturday and someone picked up on that. They was like, have you handwritten everyone? It gives it that kind of homemade feel to it. I wanted a modern kind of um, brand that looked timeless, but with that kind of personal touch. So... Yeah, it is like I've I've signed every single little jar that goes out. That's so great. That's an artist in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's rewind to when this kitchen that we're sitting just out of right now, that that was that was where you produced all yeah. of your products, right? Yeah. If you had come and visit me three years ago, the house would have not looked this lovely. And <laughs> we had stacks of produce and in, in the lounge here. Um, we had stacks of chutney made in the corridor. Somehow we did it. Um, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, a revelation getting out of the kitchen, having space. We just grew out of the space. And also, I think my husband wouldn't have tolerated it for <laughs> yeah. too much. There may have been divorce papers in the mail or something. How many people did you have helping you when you were making it in your kitchen? So usually it was me and one other girl we used to do it uh, um, just the two of us to begin with and would it be like all day long yeah we would, she would get and- here at like half past eight and we would go and Mark would go off to work and then we would be cooking here until half past five and then she would go off and then I would clean the kitchen for another hour and a half to make sure it was kind of for you know domestic use right but that is the great thing about starting a small food business in the UK is that you can start your small business from your home and it keeps your overheads quite low. In the States, you can't do that. In New Zealand, you can't do that. You have to have a commercial kitchen, certified kitchen. Here, it's great. The council sent over the um, uh, health and safety and environmental health and they come and check the premises and they do an annual check. um, And it's that easy. And it makes it... Accessible for people to start their own small businesses. And so you guys would be making the things here and then every Saturday you would, would go to Broadway yeah. Market. So I have a market still down Broadway Market, which I've had for about four or five years, for four years, five years. Yeah, maybe since the beginning. I have to say Broadway Market is probably my favorite it's in my London. It's my favorite market in London. Yeah. Uh, purely because it's not just uh, street food based, which they all seem to be turning to because there's a lot of money in street food. Right. You know, you can you can make a lot of money but the beauty about Broadway Market is it's um, produce as well some of the best food in London but also there's a lot of craftsmen people so there's um, beautiful leather goods there's uh, gorgeous chopping boards yes I've gotten a beautiful uh, chopping board from Hamps, there Hampson Woods yes. yeah they're friends of mine oh my gosh yeah. they're beautiful chopping amazing boards amazing chopping boards yeah. they use all fallen trees um, that are around the UK they're great they've um, got a great business was it hard to get a stall there? Yeah, it was. I started in the schoolyard. They used to have run the schoolyard, which was, uh, you know, very, very quiet. Um, so I did my year in the schoolyard. I did, a, you know, Christmases in the snow and there was only three tr- probably traders uh, and no customers and selling maybe three jars. But now I'm on the main street. I always joke that I've graduated to yes. the main street. I mean, that is what it 
is yeah. like though, right? Yeah. You were, are making things in your kitchen, you're selling them at the market. And then tell me about the momentum that gained so that then you were able to move and get your own space. Like what, what happened? I started just by stocking small little delis around London mostly. Um, my first stockist ever was De Beauvoir Deli, which is in De Beauvoir. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a lovely little deli. And we've just grown from that. I'm not very good. So, well, I'm a good saleswoman, but I'm not very good at uh, we just don't have the time to go out and kind of um, find new clients. So we've been very fortunate that clients come to me. I mean, that's the dream. Yeah, that is the dream. Um, <laughs> I think it's because when I got asked to write the book, I saw that as a good marketing opportunity, that it would put what I'm doing on the uh, uh, give it integrity. I knew I was going to make a beautiful book because my husband is a great designer and I come from an art background. So I always wanted it to be a a piece of beauty. And the photos are beautiful. The photographer is Philippa Langley, who's amazing. We worked and it's so much fun to work with her. Incredible. I didn't want it to be too over stylized either. I wanted people to still be able to relate to what was going on and not feel intimidated by the recipes and to do that through aesthetic, uh, through the initial photographs. What is next? What is so the plan? To, I'm, I'm trying to structure the business so that I can do more of the masterclasses. I love teaching people the skill of this, you know, because um, I kind of want everybody to be able to do this. And there are things that you can write in a book but there are little tricks that you can learn I'm really bad at using thermometers so when I teach my new staff I we don't use thermometers for our making jam we use I tell them to to feel the jam where <laughs> you can see they think I'm mad I love it <laughs> it's all about watching hearing I do this with all my food I didn't know this I, this is how I've always cooked and I, I've grown up cooking since I was 12 we used to mum you know was a single mom with three girls um so we had to make the family meal so from the age of about 11 12 I've been on on you know the rotor the food menu rotor for the week making one of the meals for the family so you know I think I've learned from a very young age of how to judge food and and you can't really express that through a book going to a master class is really really helpful and you can pick up on these little things I teach them with jam how the bubble changes uh from the bubble changes yeah so the bubble and jam changes from a rolling bubble to a ploppy bubble because jam is the hardest of all of the preserves i believe to make um yeah fermentations uh, does get a little bit tricky because you're dealing with bacteria but it's not that scary and not a lot can go wrong a lot can go wrong with the jam and people don't understand you've just bought me a beautiful jar of jam your jam is fabulous so you obviously have the skill i'm feeling like if I'm you want to work out. at all in our <laughs> kitchen you are more than welcome but there's just a lot that can go wrong it can overset it can underset um different fruits have different pectin levels um it's this chemical reaction to get a set um so there's uh, it's dependent on yeah on the temperature of the day how did you learn all this stuff i mean what was the learning curve like for you going from being an artist a screen printing to 
a jam maker and trial and error really i do think i do believe trial and error and and reading um and reading different people's ideas and and some there's no right or wrong as well there's just different ways of doing things and yeah we need to not get so caught up in and that kind of perfection and i i was a bit of a perfectionist but i think through running the business and through this thing that people i you know, you need to be a little bit more relaxed about some of these things. I feel like your story is one that a lot of people aspire to because it started as a hobby, something that you gifted people, just a thoughtful thing, and and it grew from there. Yeah, as into we've a talked monster. about, <laughs> into a monster that was uncontrollable. That's uncontrollable. But yeah. I mean, I really do feel like people listening to this who have like a little itch in the back of their mind or an idea like you've done it yeah what would you tell them well it's not easy it's not an easy path and I have made some sacrifices you know I've been doing it for five years and I'm still not getting the monetary gratification that people generally get to make themselves feel better I don't get paid so and I put a lot of the energy I work just as hard as all the stuff and, and you're working yeah, all the time I'm working all the time I want to write a second book so it, it's, I was wondering if the second book was in you oh it's it's ticking away in my head constantly after yes. the 140 recipes you already had in the first one yeah it's a different book um, because I'm really interested I've been doing collaborations with people and I'm really interested in food as general and one of the biggest questions I get asked uh, with preserving is now I've made the preserve how do I use the preserve and so the next book I would love to be uh, would love I'd love to be the preserve and this is the three dishes that you can make with the preserve or three ideas of that to kind of recap your your biggest piece of advice for people who want to do what you have done is that it's hard it's hard don't expect an easy ride expect ups and downs I go through weeks uh, well not you know I go through times where I'm like want to give it up Mm. but that blind determination and uh, to keep going keeps me going because I it's a slow burner it depends what kind of business you get into but you know building a brand is a slow burner I um, expect to be uh, you know be paid off in the end Um, you're in it for the long game so it's the long game not the short game so Mm -hmm. I hope that it looks you know attractive enough to get a good investor and uh, and then work for it as a kind of creative director that would be be ideal so (laughs) ideal you would shine yeah I mean but you're already shining and this is why I think this kind of conversation is so fascinating and thank you for your honesties because from an outsider's perspective it looks like you've made it kind of you know what I mean I mean I see I go into a new random store that I've actually never been in before and I see your product on the shelf and and a lot of people do feel like that they think that I've made it and and but I don't I never really feel like I have and I wonder if and if you would ever feel like you have maybe not probably (laughs) you'll be you know there's always that next step but you have to that that is a good advice then to remind yourself I was talking to Alex from 26 grains do you know the 26 grains and um oh yes 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 the storefront yes yeah so she um was saying that every year she looks back on the year and she makes photo montage or a montage of all of the things that she's achieved for the year just to give herself that gratification otherwise she would just feel like she's going nowhere you know that is so important that was really good advice I've got to do that I've got to remind myself of where I was and what I have achieved and when you're just doing the day-to-day you can never see it you never 
ever see it. The comparison with athletes where, you know, they score a goal. The World Cup is going on right now. They score a goal and they celebrate. I mean, it is yes. fist in the air and they're like, yeah, and their teammates yeah. all come around like, yeah, yeah you did it. Yeah. And so they get that moment. And like I feel, gratification. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like for small business owners, creative entrepreneurs, we don't get that. Yeah. We're just hustling, hustling, yeah. hustling. Yeah. And sure. In a competitive, competitive mm, world. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But then to like bookend that statement that it, that truth that it's hard it shouldn't put people off so, and would you have would it do any it other all way I would do it all over again yeah um, and that's the important I, thing to remember yeah, and I've learned so much about myself like I, as I said before I always thought that I was a helper I always thought that I was going to fulfill other people's visions I mean that is the gratification that I'm fulfilling my own vision which I never thought uh, I could do so that and it is a creative source yeah I mean you're, that is so interesting to me that that was your self-perception because I only first met you as Kylie Newton of Newton and Pot, and so it's crazy to me that you saw yourself as a helper because yeah. I see you as the mast <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy for me as well. Yeah. But it's all about perception. You never know what people, you know, I always look at other people and their businesses and go, why aren't I there? Why aren't I doing that? My husband has to always say, but Kylie, people are probably looking at you and saying, why aren't I there? It's all, it's just perception, isn't it? Especially with, you know, this modern social media world. Yeah. It's just. That's just what I was thinking when yeah. you were saying this. I was like. Like, oh my god I think that's me and Instagram because yeah. Connor will say the same thing Connor's like Katie yeah look people want to be where you are right. at and exactly like, oh yeah I should I should stop feeling bad about yeah. myself right now yeah so you mentioned some of the collaborations you do. Yeah. How do you find who you collaborate with? Friends. Um, because I've entered this food world, it's great. Uh, I love the food world. They're really friendly people <laughs> out of the other worlds that I've dabbled in, like, um, you know, the art world. And uh, I, I was... Uh, I've, been jack of a jill of all trades I've, <laughs> I've worked as a dj as you can see all my records um, um that is yeah. <laughs> epic that you were, i saw all your vinyl over yeah, here yeah. but i didn't realize you were like worker worker yeah i used to dj <laughs> nice. every friday night down in hoxton square um for three years i had a re- residency every friday that night that is so fun but yeah, that was cool. <laughs> that was when I was cool. And I wasn't just a humble preserver. <laughs> but so good friends. Um, I've done collaborations with good chef friends. Um, Henrietta Inman, who's an amazing natural baker. And who's, no, you've just done that. I just saw a little, you were out in Suffolk with her. Yes, I went out to Suffolk yeah. and did a video for my YouTube channel. So cool. And she was on the podcast. Yes, yeah. she's uh, She is just an amazing baker. Everyone should buy her book because, uh, you know, you think about um healthy well it's not let's not use the word healthy but natural baking and you think you know dry gluggy mouth uh well I do it naturally no I do too her bakes are just not like that and they are full of flavor and you know that they're using um substitute sugars and um grains right and she uses them with a purpose and they always enhance the flavor and texture exactly uh she's very talented yeah we're actually doing an afternoon tea um at Soho Farmhouse in July the 28th you know there's the brand Newton Pot the brand but there's Kylie Newton who wants to cook and wants to kind of develop ideas and be more creative because you know otherwise I'm just with the brand I'm just my head in a computer 
not, you know, running the business. Right, you are a businesswoman. Yeah. I think that I would get depressed if I wasn't working so hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I need to, I've got a very active mind if it's not, you know, I have to keep it working. Otherwise, I, I would just probably go down. Down. I'm, yeah. I always think that I'm lazy. I always tell my husband I'm lazy. Oh my gosh. And it's like you're far from lazy. I forget yeah. that um, I'm only, it's more that I think, I'm tired (laughs) from running a business. I think that's it. (laughs) Do you try to keep it quirky in your life? I'm, I'm, I, yeah, you must know I'm quite quirky. (laughs) How, how do you keep it quirky, Kylie? I basically, um, I'm a complete idiot at work. (laughs) I think that my staff think I'm mad. I'm always trying to crack them up and, and I have a new girl there and she, like the others two just roll their eyes at me, but, um, (laughs) this new girl, she laughs at me. It's my stupid, stupid joke. So, yeah always a complete idiot you have to keep it quirky otherwise you know go insane yeah yeah exactly or insane you're right what are you gonna choose quirkiness or insanity yeah kylie thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much for having me if you want to learn more about Newton and Pot, you can check them out at newtonandpot.co.uk and follow Kylie on Instagram at newtonandpot. That is two T's. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to leave a review in the podcast store. It helps a ton and I really appreciate it. I read every single comment. Feel free to hit me up at QKD on Instagram and Twitter at Keep It Quirky Podcast on Instagram. Thanks to my brother, Brian Quinn. It's awesome. Awesome having a very talented musician brother to uh, to write the theme song for the podcast. I'll see you all back here next week. I'll actually be on a sailboat in Italy for holiday, but I am scheduling next week's very exciting post. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Okay, until I see you next, don't forget to keep it quirky.